going to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. The book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And tonight I'm preaching on this subject, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. From the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Let us pray. Dear God, I ask you to put your words in my mouth, put your thoughts in my mind, and Lord, I must decrease... In Jesus, you must increase. Lord, I pray that I will speak under Holy Spirit anointing as a dying man to a dying world. And I pray when the invitation is given, that God, each of us will be moved to want to totally surrender ourselves into the arms of Christ in a fuller way. So, Lord, I give you myself. I give you this congregation. I give you this moment. And ask you to come and manifest your presence among us tonight. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray, Lord. Amen. A few years ago, I was sitting in our automobile. I was waiting on my wife. She was in a department store. She was shopping. And I was just out there sitting in the car waiting on her. While she was in there shopping, I was watching a liquor store that was across the street from that department store. That's what Baptist preachers do when we're close to liquor stores. We watch them, see if we recognize anybody going in, see if we recognize anybody coming out. Now, I was looking for one man in particular. He had driven up into that parking lot while I sat there, and he had emblazoned on his back bumper a bumper sticker that said this, God is my co-pilot. And I thought, that's a terrible testimony. Drive up in that liquor store parking lot, stagger into that place. And then drive out with that on the back bumper, God is my co-pilot. And it was as if the Spirit of God spoke to my heart 
and said, that's his problem. God is his co-pilot. If God had been his pilot, he'd have never driven that car into that parking lot to begin with. A few years later, I was taking my sons down to Universal Theme Park in Orlando, Florida, and I was standing in front of the Hard Rock Cafe, right in front of the cafe, right in front of the front door. And just above the front door at the time, there was a very interesting sight. It was the back half of a vintage Cadillac that protruded out of the wall just above the front door. It was as if the car had taken flight, had rammed through the wall of the cafe, and only the back half of it was sticking out. And what really grabbed my attention was the license plate on the back of that Cadillac. It said, God is my co-pilot. And as I stood there looking at that, the Spirit of God seemed to speak to me again and say, that's that guy's problem. God was his co-pilot. If God had been in the driver's seat, that Cadillac would have never been rammed through that wall. I want to tell you something tonight on the basis of the Word of God. The Lord doesn't want to be your co-pilot. The Lord wants to be your pilot. The Bible teaches us without a doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some 24 times in the New Testament, we read that Jesus Christ is Savior. But 644 times, we read that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the book of Acts chapter 16, the Bible says in that wonderful story that that jailer locked Paul and Silas up. And at the midnight hour, they began to praise the Lord and pray. God sent an awakening, shook that place to its foundations. And having shaken that jailer out of a sound sleep under conviction, he came into the presence of Paul and Silas trembling. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Somewhere along the line in the thinking of church folks has come a wrong idea that you say a little prayer over here to get hell insurance. And then you set Jesus Christ aside. You treat him like a fire extinguisher. You're glad it's there somewhere in case of emergency. You just hope you never have to use it. And having gotten your hell insurance and shoving Jesus out of the way, then you live the rest of your life independent of the guidance of Jesus Christ. You call the shots. You make the decisions, and at the end of the road, Jesus is waiting for you, saying, I thought you'd never get here to wing you to heaven. Now, I believe that salvation is a gift, and it's not earned through human effort. But I believe that Jesus Christ is not only Savior, but He's Lord. And I believe that Jesus Christ died not only to save you from hell, but I believe He died to get hell out of us and to make us into a vessel of honor. I believe that Christianity is not me trying to do something for Jesus, but it is the living Jesus in me pouring His resurrection life through me. And He can't pour His resurrection life through me unless He is the absolute undisputed Lord of my life. Now, I want to make three observations about lordship tonight from the Word. First of all, I want to point out that lordship is deserved. Lordship is deserved. Only Jesus Christ deserves to have the number one place in your life. Now, why do I say that? Well, for two reasons. He deserves to be Lord because of what He gave. Because of what He gave. Look what it says in verse 6. It says, Jesus, who being in the form of God. 
And the word form there means the outward expression of that which has been invisible. So our Lord Jesus Christ is the visible revelation of the Almighty God of the Bible. So if you want to know what God looks like, look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't become God. He's always been God, second person of the divine trinity. The Bible says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And the word robbery there means a treasure to be clutched. So our Lord treasured his divineness. He he treasured his place in the Godhead. He, He treasured his supremacy and his sovereignty and his majesty. And the Bible says he made himself, in verse 7, of no reputation, which means that he emptied himself of all the outward trappings of deity. And then it says he took on the form not just of a servant, but a bond slave, the lowest kind of slave. And he came to this earth in the guise, in the garb, in the clothes, in the flesh of a mortal human being. And then the Bible says, having been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And the word humble there means he stooped low and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death not of disease, not of old age, not of an accident, but of an old rugged cross. So I want to make sure you understand tonight what Jesus Christ did for you and what Jesus Christ did for me. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ sat upon a royal throne basking in the glow and the worship of holy angels. I want you to understand He reigned in an atmosphere of sheer perfection where He was appreciated and where He was adored. But we're lost. We're going to hell. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. We need someone who can satisfy the wrath of the Father against our sins and pay our sin debt in full. And there's only one mediator between a holy God and a sinner, and that's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our Lord voluntarily got up off of that throne, turned the stars into a staircase, and came down to this sin-cursed earth and clothed His majestic being in the body of a peasant carpenter rubbed shoulders with mere sinners. Our Lord Jesus Christ healed the sick, ate with sinners, hung around with the rejects of the world, cleansed lepers, cast out demons, fed the hungry, preached the gospel, poured out the love of God. But then he was betrayed by one he had loved. And then he was arrested by mere mortal men. Crowned with thorns, they drove those thorns into his brow like you drive a nail into a tuba for. And then they beat his back with that Roman scourge until those vital organs in his body were exposed and his, his back was hanging in ribbons. And then they took the hands of Jesus Christ, the hands that carved out the Grand Canyon that created the great smoky mountains and flung stars out where there'd been nothing. The hands that reached out and touched that leper and touched the eyes of the blind and gathered little boys and girls up into his lap. They took the hands of Jesus and they nailed them to that cross. And then they took his feet. 
the thief that took him on his mission of mercy from heaven to earth and to Calvary and nailed those feet to that cross, to those ugly timbers. And then they lifted that cross up, positioning him between two common thieves. And he's hanging there between heaven and hell. And Jesus Christ in that moment bore in his body your sins and my sins and became cursed for us. And the wrath of God that my sin deserves and demands, the wrath of God for my sins and your sins were poured out on Jesus Christ who died in our place as our substitute, paying our sin debt and having paid our sin debt in full, cried, it is finished. So I was able to be saved and come to a saving knowledge of God because I came as a spiritual beggar, put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, took my place at an old rugged cross and when I put my faith in the finished work of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Jesus took my sins and God gave me the righteousness of his son so that when God looks at you and me now as believers through the blood of his son he doesn't see a sinner he sees a saint and Christ deserves all the glory and all the praise and may I say tonight That he deserves more than my spare time, my pocket change, and my leftover emotions. Jesus Christ deserves my all. And may I say, there is not a race car driver, there is not a noble athlete, there is not a movie star, there is not a famous singer or a celebrity or a politician or even a preacher who would do for you what Jesus Christ did on that cross. He deserves to be Lord because of what He gave. He also deserves to be Lord because of what He gained. Now, the story doesn't end there. Because I want you to notice that word therefore in verse 9. The word therefore connects what's just happened to what's to follow. He died on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him. And that word exalt means to elevate to the highest place. God has highly exalted him and given him the name. And the word name there means rank or title. Has given him the name which is above every name. They took the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and they put it in a borrowed tomb. Rolled a stone in place and put upon it a Roman seal. For three days and three nights, the lifeless body of Jesus Christ lay in that dark tomb. I want you to know there was gloom and doom gripping the entire created world. I often wonder what those folks that the Lord had touched, that He had delivered, that He had blessed were doing in those three days. You know, the disciples were like us so many times. They were clueless. I mean, they'd forgotten all the teaching and promises about the resurrection. They thought it was over. Simon Peter had gone back to fish. It just seemed like all hope was gone. I wonder if that blind man was watching a sunset on a Saturday night, saying to his wife, I'm going to keep watching that sun till it goes down because I just don't know what morning is going to come that I won't see the sunrise. 
Because the man that healed these eyes is laying dead in a grave. I wonder if the leper was asking his wife and kids to come in saying, I want to hug you and hold you close one more night because I may get up in the morning and those leprous lesions will be back because the man that healed me of my leprosy, he's laying dead in a grave. I wonder if that paralytic that our Lord healed, he was laying on the side of the road and Jesus just told him to rise up and walk. I wonder if that paralytic is running laps around the town square and someone says, why doesn't that crazy man go home, go to bed? And he says, I I may not be able to get out of the bed tomorrow because the man that healed me of paralysis is dead and in a grave. And I wonder if Mary Magdalene was bracing herself for the return of those seven demons that Jesus cast out of her body for three days and three nights. It was so sad and it was so bad. But early in the morning, on the first day of the week, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. The precious Holy Spirit entered into that dead tomb and raised Jesus Christ to new life. And when the stone rolled away, Jesus Christ was standing there for all the world to see, holding the keys to death, hell, and the grave with his nail-scarred foot on the neck of the devil. And they'll never crucify him again. The grave could not hold him. And I want you to know, my friend, when he was raised from the dead. God said yes to every promise in the Holy Bible when he was raised from the dead. I want you to understand he knocked the backside out of death, turned it into a doorway so that believers never die. We'll just be absent from everybody and be present with the Lord. Jesus Christ is alive. And listen to me, the same Holy Spirit that entered into that tomb and raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that came into your heart when you trusted Christ as your Savior and raised you from the dead. You have all of God in you in the person of Jesus Christ. You're more than a conqueror. You're not at the mercy of your circumstances. You you have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for the people of God to stop pouting and start shouting, stop whining and start shining. We need to rise, shine, give God the glory and give Him praise that He's alive and so are we in Jesus Christ. God highly exalted Him. And our Lord walked on this earth for some 40 days and then He ascended up into heaven and the disciples were gazing up there and an angel said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. And I want you to know the next time he comes, it's going to be different because God has highly exalted him. First time he came, he came riding into town on a donkey. But the next time he comes, he's going to be riding on a mighty war horse. First time he came, they nailed his hand to a cross. But the next time he comes, that hand is going to hold a royal scepter.
First time he came, they crowned him with thorns, but the next time he comes, he's going to be wearing a crown of victory. The first time he came to be judged, the second time he comes, he's coming as the judge. I believe that someday without sin and salvation, our Lord is going to rapture his church off of this earth. And after seven years of great tribulation, our Lord's going to saddle up that war horse. He is going to send through the heavens with the armies of glory, and he is going to land on the Mount of Olives. And that exalted foot that was nailed to the cross when it touches the Mount of Olives is going to split it half in two. He's going to walk across the Kidron Valley, kick open the Eastern Gate, ascend the Temple Mount, sit down on the throne of David, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess, and every Democrat, and every Republican, and every Independent, and every Trumpite is going to fall at the feet of Jesus and confess that He alone is Lord. So I say he deserves to be Lord because of what he gave, and he deserves to be Lord because of what he gained. There's something else I want you to notice here. Not only is Lordship deserved, I want you to notice that Lordship is demanded. Now I understand my audience, because I've been pastoring a Southern Baptist church for... A long time. <laughs> and I know that, you know, nobody's going to tell us what to do. I mean, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Especially preacher, nobody is going to tell me what to do. And see, man, I've pastored all these years down there in the deep south. And buddy, you're not going to tell them what to do. And they'll tell you real quick, man. Now, listen here, buddy. I don't know who pulled your chain, but we drink our sweet tea out of a mason jar as thick as molasses and eat grits. And you're not going to tell us what to do. Well, let me just tell you something. Jesus is going to tell you what to do. And he's not asking to be the Lord of your life. He demands to be the Lord of your life. In fact, he demands two things. Notice what the word says. The Bible says he demands to be enthroned. Verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those earth and of those under the earth. Well, I understand that someday people are going to physically bow, but I believe we're to bow right now before Him and acknowledge His Lordship. So what does that mean? It means to relinquish control. It means to abandon ourselves totally to His control. It means to put everything about us, everything we own, at His disposal to lay it all under His feet. You know, a lot of us in this world would save ourselves a lot of nervousness and grief if we would just give it all to Jesus. Because the reason you're a nervous wreck is you're trying to fix it all, solve it all, control it all, and it's running you nuts. And you just need to give it all to Jesus. You need to give your money to Jesus. You need to give your ministry to Jesus. You need to give your marriage to Jesus. You need to give your dreams to Jesus, your despair to Jesus, your despair, your depression, your fear, your anxiety. You, you, you need to give your problems. You just need to give everything to Jesus. I mean, let go. Hands off. Now, this thing of relinquishing control, if I was a brain surgeon, I'd tell you how I worked that verse out in my, my life as a brain surgeon. If I was a truck driver, I'd tell you how I did it as a truck driver, as an educator, as an educator. But I've been pastor in church since I was 23 years old. I really can't do anything else. This is really all 
that I can do. I, I, I mean, remember back, some of you older folks, Y2K back in 1999, everybody's supposed to get generators. I didn't get a generator. I can't start a lawnmower. What on earth would I do if I got a generator, man? I'm a Baptist preacher. I believe God looked down and said, call him to preach. He was going to starve, slap to death. So I've had to work this out in my vocation as a minister of the gospel. When I took my first pastorate in 1979, I was under a delusion. I had been deluded. I thought that I could go into that church and make everybody happy. I actually believed that. And it didn't take one solid week to realize that that was an impossible dream. I mean, I had the students over here. You know, they want to take the new church van and put hydraulics under it and jack the thing up and down with blue lights underneath it for the glory of God. And the senior adults are rebelling because they say they paid for it and they want to get the thing and put in vibrating recliners so when they go to Gatlinburg to see the leaves change, they can vibrate their saccharyliac on the way and... Got these good old boys in the church that say, now we want to reach men, so we're going to donate a lift kit, and we're going to paint it camo, and jack the thing up, and put a dog box on the back, and go bogging for the glory of the Lord. Got the men's softball team. Don't get mad at me. I'm just, sometimes when I get off, I get a little rowdy and get some of this out of my system before I go home. Men's softball team over here, trying to make them happy. Bunch of middle-aged guys with knee braces on. Bragging about that they've worn these shorts since they were 23 with that big elastic band and you just keep draping that thing over it, brother. (laughs) And I've got the singles over here. I'm not doing enough for singles. I've got the marriage. I'm not doing enough for the kids. So I've got to please the senior adults and the single adults and the marrieds and the wannabe marrieds and the don't like it because they're married and they used to be married. And sister so-and-so was in the hospital for 45 minutes over here. And I didn't know about it because nobody told me. And by the time they told me and I got there, I couldn't find her. And they're telling me the last pastor they had when she had her gallbladder out was actually in the operating suite, was there when they removed it, held it in his hands, prayed over it, anointed it with oil. Brother, I drove myself nuts. One day I was reading in the scripture where Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I said, Lord, what am I trying to do? This is not my church. This is your church. And so I said, Lord, I'm giving a whole bunch to you. I'm giving me to you, my wife to you, my kids to you, the senior adults and the single adults and the married adults and the students and the baseball team and the cloggers and the square dancers. The whole shooting match is yours, Lord. And I'm taking my hands off. You get in the driver's seat. Hallelujah, Lord. Put the pedal to the metal. And let's get on with the business of building the kingdom. And every believer has to come to the place in their life where they abandon themselves and lay down before the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, here I am as a living sacrifice. But he also demands to be confessed, not just enthroned. The Bible says in verse 11 that every tongue should confess. And that word confess there means to agree with. So 
I'm not supposed to get Jesus to bend his will and agenda to mine. I have to bend my will and agenda to his. Two cannot walk together, the prophet Amos says, unless they're in agreement. But the word also means to publicly declare. So how do I confess Christ as Lord? When the pastor gives an invitation, I come down and take him by the hand and say, I've received Christ as my Savior and my Lord and I'm publicly confessing Him before men. That's the way I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do I confess He's Lord? By following Him in believers, baptism by immersion, which comes after an experience of salvation. How do I confess He's Lord? By faithfully being in God's house on God's day and plugging into the ministry of a local church. Discovering my spiritual gift and finding what my calling is and then doing it for the glory of God, I'm confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I want to tell you something else. I believe we confess Christ as Lord through our tithe to our local church. When I was 16 years old, my grandmother, who was a godly woman, told me when I got my first paycheck as a 16-year-old teenager up in northwest Texas, I was going to work in the sorghum fields there in the summer. She said, when you get that paycheck, son, you give a tenth of it to your church and you do that your whole life, God will bless you. And at the time, I didn't even understand it, but I had confidence in her. She was a a woman of God. And if she says it was a good thing, then I was going to do it. And I began to discover that God blessed that tithe. And I know somebody here says, well, you know what? I've been taking a correspondence course. I'm the resident theologian here to straighten everybody out. And I've been taking a correspondence course from... Dr. Bottlestopper from a seminary in Totesuck, Arkansas, through the mail. And I just want you to know that I've learned that tithing is under the law. Oh, is that right? All I know is back there in Genesis, before the law, before Mount Sinai, before Moses, Abraham, who Romans 4 says is really the father of all those who have true faith in the Messiah, that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And Hebrews 7 says Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. And Jesus identifies with his church because when Saul was going out to kill Christians in the book of Acts, who would later become Paul, it says he went out to persecute the church. But when Jesus intervened, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I believe when I bring a tithe and I give it to my local church, I'm placing my tithe in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ as an admission and an acknowledgement that he's the Lord of all my finances. See, the Lord has always demanded a visible token of lordship. In the book of Genesis, he says, you can have every tree, but not that tree. Don't touch that tree. That's a confession that you recognize I own all the trees in this garden. And he says, you can work every day, but that Sabbath day, but you set that day apart. And that, that's the token that you recognize that I own all the days of your week. Plow the ground every year, but the Sabbath year. That Sabbath year testimony, a token, I'm Lord of all the years. And and Joshua, when you are going going into the Canaan there, to the promised land, you can have all the cities except the first one. You don't get Jericho. Don't touch anything in Jericho. I'm calling it accursed because it all belongs to me because it is a token you recognize that I own all of the cities and possessions I'm going to bless with you in Canaan. And then he says, Christian, I'm going to give you a paycheck. And the tenth that you bring to the house of God and put in the ministry of your local church is a confession that you recognize the lordship of Christ over the whole paycheck. Let me ask you this. What happened when they touched the tree, 
when they plowed for 70 Sabbath years, when Achan went into Jericho and touched what God had set apart, every time disaster, how can you be financially free or blessed when you're taking what already belongs to God? My tithing is a confession of lordship. So I said something about the fact that lordship is deserved said something about the fact that lordship is demanded, demands to be enthroned, demands to be confessed. But I also want to point out from the Word of God that lordship is displayed. Lordship is very practical. If Christ is the Lord of your life, that doesn't mean you sit in the corner and act more spiritual than everybody else and talk real breathy and sort of roll your eyes up in the back of your head. That's not what that means. Lordship is rugged and real And it is worked out in my everyday life, practically. Notice the word therefore in verse 12. That word therefore connects verse 11 where it says he's Lord with everything that's to follow. You see, lordship is displayed in a strict discipline. There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. You're not going to go to an altar and get zapped and you're instantly spiritually mature. Uh, it's, it's a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and cutting out of you what doesn't look like Jesus and building in you what looks like Jesus and really shaping your character and your conversation and your conduct into the very likeness of Jesus. So that's why the Bible says in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Any farmer knew what he was talking about. When the Apostle Paul wrote those words, because it was a word farmers used, it meant to plant a crop, harvest a crop, plant a crop, harvest a crop, until there's not one crop left in the ground. Any miner knew what he was talking about. Because it pictured a guy that goes down into a gold mine. He digs and he digs out gold. He digs, he digs, he digs, until there's no gold left. So what he's saying is you, you work out all of the blessings of Jesus Christ that are in you, in the person and presence of Christ, and you dig in the Word every precept, every promise, every blessing, and you apply it, you put it into practice, you work it out in your marriage, in your friendships, in your social life, in your business, in your service for the Lord. A strict discipline. Lordship is also displayed in a sensitive maturity. Now, I want you to notice verse 14. The Bible says, do all things. And the word all means all. All. That's everything from taking out the garbage to having a business meeting in a local church. Do all things. And things is general. You can't get more general than the word things. Do all things without complaining. Now, that's just sort of griping and grumbling under your breath. Just sort of mumbling it. Disputing is a full bore, full on brawl, roll up the sleeves and let's have a knockdown drag out. The Bible says do all things without grumbling and disputing. I'm, I can only speak for myself, but I made up my mind a long time ago, I'm not arguing any, with anybody over fire arrangements. I'm not going to argue about what kind of paper products we're going to use on Wednesday night fellowship supper. I'm not arguing about which way we're going to strike the parking lot. I'm not going to argue about what color we're going to paint that wall. 
I'm not going to argue about all that stuff that does not matter because I've got a vision of Jesus Christ high and lifted up. I see Him in all of His power and all of His majesty and I only have one life to give Him upon this earth and I want to give Him my all. I'm going to keep the main thing, the main things. I'm going to keep my hand on the plow, my eyes on the Lord. Nothing else matters except the fact that there's a lost and dying world that's going to hell and we need to tell Him Jesus saves and we need to worship Him and praise Him in spirit and in truth and be big boys and big girls with a big God on our side for a big job spreading the gospel. Tell you something else. It's displayed through a shining testimony. The Bible says in verse 15 that you may become blameless. Now, If you're going to witness for the Lord, you need to have a life that backs up what's coming out of your mouth. And the Bible says harmless. When you witness for the Lord, you don't have to hit somebody over the head with the Bible. As big as a ping pong table and be rude. Jesus started things out like this. Zacchaeus, why don't you come down here and let's go, let's go eat. To a woman at the well, would you give me a drink of water? And then it says, children of God, it helps to be saved. I don't know, saved people make better witnesses without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse. That means a twisted generation. We live in a twisted generation. But it says we don't curse the darkness. We don't just sit around and talk about, oh, look how bad it is. Listen, when it's the darkest, the light shines the brightest. And so we say from our churches, whosoever will, let him come. We want to reach this lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want to curse the darkness. We want to turn on the lights. There was a campus revival in a Christian college. And one night, they're all sitting there in the chapel. And they heard the sound of roller skate wheels on the center aisle. It was a hardwood floor. And everybody knew who was coming forward because there was a young man that went to college there that had been born without legs. And he had learned to attach roller skate wheels where his legs ought to be. He learned that as a little boy. That's just the way he became mobile. He pushed himself around them roller skate wheels. So here he comes pushing himself on those roller skate wheels down that center aisle. The evangelist had to get down on his knees to look at him in the eye. And he said, son, why have you come forward? He said, I've watched beautiful young ladies, these strong guys every night walk down this aisle, take you by the hand and say they wanted God to use them. And I just came down here to ask you this question. Can God use half a man? And the evangelist said, listen very closely to me. He said, God can use half a man if he's fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. But God can't use a whole man if he's half surrendered. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And let's all reverently stand to our feet. Everyone is standing. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Pastor Kelly, I'm going to ask you to take your place here at the front of the church. 
First of all, if you've never been saved, if you're not sure if you died tonight that you'd go to heaven, you say, I'm not sure I'm saved. If you would just leave wherever you are and just come to the pastor tonight, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to put you on the spot. But we're going to have someone make sure you understand the gospel. And right here tonight, you can open your heart and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord and be born again right here tonight. Would you, would you come just step out wherever you are and say to the pastor, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. But man, I want to make sure. And, and let's just come to that moment when somebody could just lead you in that prayer of repentance and faith. In fact, hey, why don't we do this? Standing right there, heads about eyes closed. If you say, Brother Herb, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven if I died right now, but I, I really do believe, I believe Christ died on the cross for me, and I believe He shed His blood to pay my sin debt. And I believe He was raised from the dead to give me life. I believe that in my heart. I just do. Well, could I help you just put some words together here that could express your faith to the Lord? Why don't you just say this? He reads minds and hearts. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I know that my sins are going to send me to hell. But right now, Lord Jesus, I turn to you. And I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. You died for me. Shed your blood for me. And you were raised to give me life. Come into my heart and live in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you meant that, then I want you to come and I want you to tell Pastor about that. But here's another part of this invitation. Maybe God just stirred you tonight and you say, you know what, I really need to just abandon everything to Christ. I, I really, I just got some things I need to let go. I, there's some stuff I need to, I'm trying to handle and tonight I'm letting go. I'm putting them in the hands of Jesus Christ, taking my hands off of them. You may want to come and kneel at this altar. You may want to come and put your hand in the hand of the pastor and say, pray with me. But there are those tonight that, that need to come and talk to the Lord in that way. Holy Spirit of God, just move during this invitation time, God. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now the pastor is here. And Brother Andrew, we're going to have some music. He's going to sing. And as we sing right now, you obey God. I'm just going to just step back here and let's see what God's going to do. You just obey God tonight. Do what God's telling you to do.